Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast diving deep into nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, their. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. In this episode, we'll discuss the Reign of Christ readings, which is also known as Reign of Christ the Queen, <laughs> which this year falls on November 26th. In this episode, we also have our special thank you to our Patreon supporters. So you help make this closer to sustainable than it otherwise would be. <laughs> you help cover the minimal costs of equipment and programs and those sorts of things that we have. So we are deeply grateful for you and your continued support. And just as a reminder, there's four weddings and a funeral coming out. So that probably will come out next week, but it is an exclusive Patreon special. So yes, our movie commentary, not the movie itself. The movie itself has been out for yes. like 30 years now. It's true. Our movie commentary. It was the first time I watched the movie though. So sure. it, it was it was an adventure. So special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Thank you to Paul Bennett. Pastor Eric L. Bodenstead. Sojin. Pace Warfield. Lowell Chilton. Bridget Watley, Aaron Holmgren, and Andrew Walker. Thank you. Yes, thank you. You all make our hearts happy. Absolutely. Also, just an update for folks. As we've been talking about, this is the end of season three, which is a complete revised common lectionary cycle. So we will be switching how we are doing the podcast and moving away from the lectionary. But for those of you who still want the lectionary, especially if you weren't with us three years ago, we are going to be putting all of our past episodes up on YouTube. So you can find them there and YouTube has a new podcasty thing because they're getting rid of Google podcasts because I don't know, they're weird. So you can find it there and you can find it in any of the places that you normally catch our podcasts, you just gotta scroll back to the beginning. So make sure you check those out and keep your ears peeled for news about season four, because we are excited about what we have planned for that season. Absolutely. And check out the episode descriptions for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. So the Reign of Christ, also previously known as Christ the King Sunday, also known as the Reign of Christ the Queen, also known as uh, any number of other things, really, is the last day of the church calendar. And since we are starting new things in the podcast as well, we thought that our deep dive today could be on New Year's and year-ending celebrations around the world. Indeed. And one of the most well-known among our listeners is, of course, the New York City Times Square ball drop, which has changed and shifted a bit over the years. And also there are places like, you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan, who created their own ball that they drop. Absolutely. And it's also usually celebrated with the countdown and fireworks and those sorts of things are all pretty common in our country. Absolutely. There are people who also, like, make black-eyed pea soup, black-eyed peas and hams to eat on the new year, sure. and those sorts of things, which are also fun and tasty ways of celebrating. Sure. My grandmother was a big fan of the oyster stew, which I personally, like, the broth was good. The oysters themselves were not something I enjoyed 
but oh yeah interesting i've never had that one and many of the families that i knew growing up did a movie marathon to wait for midnight Mm. and personally speaking with dad it was always a godzilla movie marathon we would pick out the movies a couple (laughs) of weeks beforehand mom's theme of marathons changed every year so we did a number of different marathons often musicals but with dad it was always very consistently godzilla movies the really old ones with terrible subtitles (laughs) I have typically done movie marathons on New Year's Day, and really it centered around doing a Lord of the Rings movie marathon. A couple times I've actually managed to eat all of the Hobbit meals, (laughs) or eat a meal for each of the Hobbit meals. That takes dedication. During it, but mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. It was like, okay, we're partway through this movie, we have to be eating second breakfast now. (laughs) It was fun. Sure. Yeah, but... If you have particular ways that you celebrate the end of the old year, the beginning of the new year, any of those things, or that you have in the past, let us know because we would love to know other ways that people celebrate. So we're kind of doing a tour around the globe for this, and we're starting in Central South America, Caribbean area. And with my experience, actually, of spending New Year's in Ecuador when I was in college. So in Ecuador, it's really ridiculous and fun, but they will have either big paper mache dolls or they'll like take old clothes that they're not going to wear anymore and fill them with sawdust. And these like giant doll, big dolls represent the old year, the El Año Viejo. And they will, at midnight, start a fire like have a big bonfire and light the dolls on fire and burn them sometimes they make the dolls look like hated politicians or (laughs) have some sort of religious or personal meaning and sometimes they're just fun or superheroes or that sort of thing but it represents kind of a burning away of the old year and if you write a letter about things you want to leave behind in the last year things that you don't want to carry over to the new year you can throw those into the bonfires as well and If you want to travel in the new year, then you take an empty suitcase and you run around the house or the neighborhood with the empty suitcase, which I think is hilarious and delightful. And then also, if there's a tradition of las doce uvas, the 12 grapes, so you eat 12 grapes and you make a wish before each grape, and it originally represented the 12 apostles, so... A lot of it's it's interesting. A lot of the cultural stuff has some sort of like this is connected to especially Christianity, but like connected with religions as well, which sure. is kind of cool. Yeah, in Brazil, apparently a lot of folks will go to the beach right after midnight and jump into seven waves while making seven wishes. So you make a wish and jump into a wave, and then make another wish, and mm. so on. And in Haiti. New Year's Day, January 1st, is also Haitian Independence Day. And so traditionally they will eat soup journaux, which is pumpkin soup. And that is a delicacy that before independence, slaves were not allowed to have. And because everyone makes it slightly differently, you will usually wind up going around and swapping your soup with your neighbors and your friends. So you get to try a little bit of everybody's types of soups. Oh, fun. That's awesome. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Pumpkin soup also sounds delicious right now, I have to say. (laughs) I mean, I kind of want to make butternut squash soup right now, so yeah. And in Peru, there is a tradition with 
three potatoes. So one is peeled, one is half peeled, and one is unpeeled. And they're hidden under a chair or a couch before midnight. And then one is picked at random to predict the person or the family's fortunes for the year to come. So if it's already peeled, it's bad financial fortune. If it's half peeled, it's normal. And if it's unpeeled, there is great bounty in the year ahead. Yeah. I found an article that said that Colombia has a very similar tradition, but you put three potatoes under each person's bed so that the fortune is specific to that individual. And it was not honestly all that clear on whether it was the peeled or the unpeeled potato that meant good news or bad news. So (laughs) I'm glad that yours specified. Yeah, I'm glad that mine specified too, because I was like, I don't, I don't know, you could make an argument for either. Yeah, because like either you did the preparation or it's whole and complete or whatever. Yeah. And then we have a couple traditions from Europe uh, in Spain, which I think this echoes part of the tradition you mentioned from Ecuador a little bit. Mm -hmm. It is tradition to eat 12 grapes at New Year's, but according to what I read, it's while the clock is actually striking midnight. So if you can eat all 12 grapes while the clock is striking before it finishes striking midnight, you get to ward off evil and have a lucky New Year. Hmm. Okay. That's fast grape eating. Yes. And I I think it's uh, 12 grapes, one for each strike of the clock is the implication. That makes sense. Yeah. I've spent New Year's in a total of four different countries. Mm -hmm. And Slovakia is one of the other ones. And for New Year's Eve or Sylvester, Slovakia has names days. So each day is associated with a name. So the name for New Year's Eve is Sylvester, which is the old year. Mm -hmm. Most of the time people celebrate it with friends or family or relatives. I spent it with our youth group at a retreat (laughs) with our like youth and young adults group on like kind of like a lock-in right like one of those weekend retreat type things so my experience of it was a little bit different than the traditional Slovak experience but in most towns and cities not just the bigger places in the town square there will be some sort of celebration there will be programming a lot of the places will have like kids programming during the day on new year's eve and then more performances in that sort of programming later in the evening for adults historically men in drag showed up with straw wreaths to the celebration and then housekeepers would take them and tear them up tear the straw up and use it for hens to lay eggs and would in exchange give men sausages, cakes, or shots of alcohol. I have to say that sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, alcohol, it, it also sounds a little bit similar to Easter Monday thing, except instead of straw they would and drag, they would come and squirt you with water or dump water on you. Okay. And still you did the exchange thing. It was funner than sure. it sounded. But yeah, so... Also, alcohol is, like, very big on hospitality in Slovakia, so, like... I lean more toward the sausage myself, but sure. Yeah, I was going with on visits with the pastors, and we all were given shots when we got there. So, always make sure you eat before you go over. Also, there's a lot of particularly religious folks in Slovakia, especially Christians, and so people would go to Holy Mass or would do a Christmas Eve service in whatever church they're at. And they sweep garbage into a corner, not out of the house, so that nobody gets swept away and dies, and so that happiness doesn't get swept out of the house, which I think is Hmm. hilarious because if I did that, then inevitably it would just stay there forever. I'm going to assume that it does get swept out of the house eventually, just not at that particular moment. I mean, yeah, Yeah. probably. And then they usually have a like big dinner, kind of like they do for Christmas Eve. And then 
sometimes on New Year's Day, children will walk around in groups and say, we wish you a happy new year that God has given us to survive the old year and live to see the new one. So blessings are a really big thing in Slovakia when you're celebrating birthday. There's, it's not just happy birthday, but it's like blessings for the year to come. Sure. And so I think it's connected to that. Yeah. So it, my adventures of like piling between the like cheapo mattresses and playing games and stuff was also fun, <laughs> but less less New Year's typical Slovak. Yeah. And then as we move into Africa in Ethiopia and Eritrea, they celebrate Enkutatash, which is the gift of jewels. And it goes back to the return of the Queen of Sheba, or Makeda, in Ethiopian. And I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. There were not pronunciation guides on all of the sites that we were looking at. But the return of her from her visit to King Solomon. And when she returned, people gave her jewels, hence the name. Mm -hmm. And the Ethiopian calendar actually starts on what is for us September 11th or 12th, depending on if it's a leap year. And it starts eight years later than ours for the common era because it is based off of the 5th century monk Ananias's calculation as opposed to the calculations that we use. So that was kind of a fun thing. Most people celebrate with church in the morning and then have a shared meal of injera and wat. Wat is a sauce that goes with injera, which is kind of a flatbread. Mm -hmm. Delicious. Yeah. And girls will wear new clothes and make daisy bouquets to give to friends and sing New Year's songs. Cool. And as we cross into Asia and the subcontinent, in India, there is a multicultural festival in the city of Bombay, which involves burning the old year as an effigy of an old man to say goodbye to your old grievances. And it brings together people of many different faiths uh, and cultural backgrounds uh, in this uh, multicultural festival. Yeah. Um, And then the Chinese New Year is one type of Lunar New Year. So sometimes they get all called one thing and we just celebrate Lunar New Year, especially in this country. I think we just can push them all together (laughs) and call it a Lunar New Year. Though there are a lot of lunar calendars, some of which are solar and some of which are not. We'll talk about the calendar in Islam, which is a lunar calendar, but not a lunisolar calendar, which is what the Chinese calendar is. So the Chinese New Year has a spring festival, which is celebrated from the last day of the old year until the lantern festival, which takes place on the 15th day of the year. And this all begins on the new moon that appears between January 21st and February 20th. And it is traditionally a celebration to honor deities and ancestors. On New Year's Eve, families will gather for like a reunion dinner and will do a thorough cleaning of the house to sweep away ill fortune and make way for incoming good luck. And then a lot of the decorations are red. So they'll decorate windows and doors with red paper cuts and couplets and they'll light firecrackers and they'll give money in red envelopes. So when you see red. It's a good thing. Yeah. Fortune. And then in the Philippines, it's traditional to serve 12 round fruits. It sounds like any fruit as long as it's round. So, you know, plums, apples, that kind of thing. And you're serving one type of fruit for each month of the year. And you choose to serve round fruits because they are round like coins. And so they bring prosperity in the new year. Mm, Nice. And then as we move into the Middle East in Syria and parts of Lebanon, they 
have a white dish, which represents hope for all things good for the year. And there are a lot of different, like, really nice and involved and delicious options. And also it can be as simple as cereal with milk. And it's white because white is associated with new beginnings, peace, and prosperity. Mm -hmm. And then in Armenia, they have a breaking of the year bread, which is a sweet bread called gata darin or darahats. Again, I'm doing my best with pronunciations, but please correct us. And the sweet bread is baked to mark the new year. And it usually includes matsoni, which is an Armenian yogurt. And then they will hide a coin or a walnut or a button in it. And when it is broken, so they don't just cut it, they just they break it for everybody. Whoever finds the hidden thing has the best fortune for the year to come, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then in Iran, the Nauruz is celebrated at the beginning of spring, so March 20th or 21st, with a haftseen table. So it's a, a table set with seven dishes that all start with the Persian letter seen. And so you get sabza, which is sprouts for rebirth, seka, which is coins for wealth, sib, which is apple for beauty, samanu, which is pudding for bravery. I love that pudding is bravery. Like, that feels very <laughs> hobbity to me too, of like, yes. I, it just it just feels so fitting. Sumak, which is spice for sunshine, and sear, which is garlic. I can't have garlic, have mm-hmm. something like this without garlic, for health, and serka, serke, which is vinegar for patience. So that's like a lovely yeah. whole bunch of food. Yeah. And then in ancient Babylon, so I did not realize this, but a lot of us make New Year's resolutions. Sure. And in ancient Babylon, the Akitu festival is one of the oldest recorded New Year's festivals, and it developed from a semi-annual agricultural festival into a national New Year's holiday, which peaked in its like popularity in the first millennia BCE. And it is it originally was a time when people would make promises to gods to return things that they had borrowed or to pay any outstanding debts that they had. So it's kind of a pretty obvious precursor for New Year's resolution. Yeah. I especially love the promises to return things they had borrowed because I growing up where I did the unending feuds between neighbors about who's borrowed who else's tools and haven't given them back yet. (laughs) I can see how that would really improve your relationships with your neighbors. Yeah. And then for the traditions around the Jewish and Muslim New Year's, obviously both religions rely on the lunar calendar. And it took me a little longer to research these because I wanted to make sure I wasn't mixing anything up because they do actually have some things in common. But the Jewish New Year is also known as Rosh Hashanah, which is the first of the Jewish High Holy Days. And it begins a 10-day period of penitence, which leads up to Yom Kippur. And this begins the civil new year. According to tradition, it's the time of the creation of Adam and Eve, as opposed to the beginning of the lunar calendar itself, which marks the exodus from Egypt. And that is, of course, around the time of Passover, which is very near the time of Easter. But Rosh Hashanah, which literally means a day of shouting or blasting, uh, as in with a shofar, the, the horn, happens more in the fall and in 2024 it will begin on the evening of october 2nd 
uh, because in the Jewish calendar, all days begin in the evening and then the next day. That's really cool. And if you are interested in more about Passover in particular, we'll link to our episode with Rabbi Maurice Applebaum when he was talking about Passover. And so you can get a sense of that other kind of new year. Yeah. So the beginning of the new year is not actually the same as the beginning of the lunar calendar, but also because the lunar calendar begins so near Passover and so many other holidays, the beginning of the lunar calendar itself is not really a big holiday or barely even noticed at all in Judaism, as far as I can tell. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the Muslim New Year is the first day of the lunar month of Muharram, which some places will calculate what that date is by lunar observation, and others will calculate according to astronomical calculations based on calculations that started a long time ago. And so the exact date chosen for this day varies a little bit around the world, and actually you'll find that I think several Muslim holidays have the same thing happen. And so it will be either July 6th or July 7th, 2024, this coming year. And of course, the day still starts in the evening, just as the Jewish lunar calendar does. And this month is one of the four sacred months when warfare is forbidden. And New Year's itself isn't really a big holiday in the Islamic calendar. It's noticed, but it's not a big celebration or anything. Mm -hmm. But 10 days after New Year's, is a notable holiday for both Sunni and Shia Muslims for different reasons. Sunni Muslims will be celebrating the parting of the Red Sea when Moses led the Jews to freedom from slavery in Egypt. And Shia Muslims spend the day mourning the death of Muhammad's grandson and his family who died at the Battle of Karbala in 680 CE. Yeah, so those are just a smattering of the many, many, many different year and year beginning celebrations around the world. And we obviously left out a bunch, but we tried to get at least one from each region. So let us know if you know of some or if you've experienced some, what ones are we missing? Let us know because I would love to know about other ones. It's always a fun thing for me to learn about, especially when there are like common, like even though we don't count it as the same day across all of the different places, it's a common event that actually does happen everywhere because we have New Year's. That's how we keep track of time. So, And if you grew up with any family traditions that you would like to share with us, we would love to hear about them because you never know when we may need a new one in our lives. So it's true. It's true. Are you curious about how the Twilight Saga is influenced by Mormon theology? Or why so many vampires are queer-coded? Have you sat up at night pondering if the documentary Jesus Camp counts as a horror film? Or have you ever wondered which slasher icon is which member of the Trinity? Do you ever get into debates about whether the movies Casper, Ghost, and Candyman can be part of the Ghostbusters expanded universe? Have you watched most of the Nightmare on Elm Street series before the age of 10? What? Who (laughs) does that? Okay, maybe that one's just me. (laughs) (laughs) But if you answered yes to any of the other questions, then we've got the podcast for you. And if you answered (laughs) yes to Pace's question. (laughs) That too. I'm Pace, and I am the super nerdy horror person who's been a horror fan since well before the age when it was appropriate to watch these movies. (laughs) 
And I'm Pastor Emily, and I am the inevitable queer coding somewhere in every horror movie. And we are the hosts of Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast hosted by two non-binary trans nerds. Each season, we follow a horror franchise and a host of other horror and horror-adjacent movies to talk about how they connect to queerness, religion, and theology. We feature bona fide scary movies like Halloween, The Witch, Candyman, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Suspiria. We also have non-scary movies or low-stake horror movies like Ghostbusters, The Addams Family, Doctor Strange, and Hocus Pocus. Our upcoming season, we are covering a galaxy far, far away by looking at the Star Wars and Alien franchises from queer, religious, and horror points of view. So whether you're a lifelong horror master like me, or a horror padawan like me. We have a place for you at Horror Nerds at Church. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you catch your podcasts. As we dive into our readings for Reign of Christ, our first reading is Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 16 and 20 to 24. The prophet casts God as a shepherd, discerning between different sheep. So in each of these readings, there's kind of like a different take on what it means to reign, for Christ to reign, or for God to reign. And so in this one, it is shepherds. It is the shepherd kind of model and imagery. And if you want a deep dive into that, we'll link to our Good Shepherd Sunday episode from last season. But as I was reading through it, I was reminded of Babe, (laughs) the movie that I have not seen in a long time. And part of it is like for Babe, in order to do his job as well as he could, he started out and he thought he had to like nip at them and bite at them because that's what the dogs had taught him to do but then the sheep were like no (laughs) partly because like they're not actually scared of a little baby pig but also then when babe got to know the sheep better and got to like communicate with them and talk to them then they were able to work together and cooperate and that was part of how babe got to kind of direct these unknown sheep because then the sheep he did know were able to tell him the secret code of but am you <laughs> and so then he could say that and then the sheep would listen to him and yeah i just love that <laughs> as like babe as babe as jesus as shepherd no babe as god as shepherd sure well jesus yeah. is a shepherd so, too but sure well yeah but not in this passage. And then as we jump into the verses in verse 12, we read, as shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And of course, we also remember that just because you rescue your sheep once does not mean that you won't have to rescue them again or indeed (laughs) immediately afterwards. Uh, Who among us has not seen the rescued sheep jumps right back into the exact same trench video? (laughs) And don't worry, if you haven't seen it, we'll be linking to it. It is amazing and exactly as described. (laughs) I love that one. I forgot about that. I love that video. So good. Yeah. Also, my husband was doing a webinar in the next room and I feel kind of bad because I think that the people he was talking to might have heard the baaing of the sheep on the video because I forgot to silence my computer before I opened it. So if you were learning about yearbook software and you heard some mysterious baaing in the background, uh, hi, sorry, that was me. 
<laughs> I'm going to laugh when there's like an actual <laughs> listener who's like, oh, it makes like all these connections. Yeah. That would be hilarious. And then in verse 14, we read, I will feed them with good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lay down in good grazing land and they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And so what I'm reading here is that instead of the hills being alive with the sound of music, as in, you know, <laughs> the musical, the sound of music, they are mm -hmm. instead alive with the sound of sheep. Like, I'm not against that. That sounds kind of fun. It might be more of a percussion-based kind of music than with the buying than <laughs> the sound of music, but it could be fun. You also reminded me of Brokeback Mountain. And I was like, oh, they were shepherds too. Yeah, I thought about going there and didn't really know how to, yeah. Yeah, that's that's something that if you want to explore that, it is a good can, movie, dear listeners. Sure. Yeah, I thought it was a really good movie. Also, you it's know, not for young kids. Yeah, well, well, no, but you gotta love Heath Ledger. Wow, if only that's he was true. still around. That's true, indeed. And then in verse twenty, we read, "Therefore, thus says the everlasting God to them: I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep." So, first off, this is not about weight. I'll get into it in the next verse. I promise. And secondly. Honestly, my first image of this passage and this, like, judging between and sorting was like, okay, we're sorting everybody out Marie Kondo style. Like, <laughs> what sparks joy and what sparks not joy? Yeah. So, which kind of fits because in verse 21, we read, God continues, because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted at all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide. So what it is about is excess at the expense of others getting enough and getting what they needed. And so, you know, what sparks joy? The ones who care for each other, yeah. not the ones who butt everybody else out of the way. It also reminded me of in the Graceling novels, King Lech of Moncia, who definitely does this, though he also uses mind control to do it, and there's a whole lot there. But even, like, King Rhonda, who doesn't have a particular grace that can help him in it, but because he's king he of the Midlands, he has access and excess at others' expenses. Even if he's not the worst of the kings, he's still a king. Yeah. And our second reading for this episode is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The author gives thanks for God's call to all who believe. So the theme for this passage that I noticed that goes along with the what does it mean for, in this case, Christ to reign, is power. But like, what kind of power? The author, like, puts power in multiple times in the second half of this passage. But like, is it superpowers? Is it mutant powers? Is it collective bargaining powers? Is it coercive powers? Is it spiritual powers? So many different power options. Hmm. And I think we know that it's at very minimum not the coercive kind. Because, mm. yeah. Yeah. There is a series of like superhero novels about Dreadnought. It's the Nemesis series that I was reading. And that kind of superpower I love because there's a like trans girl who whose family is not affirming. And when she becomes Dreadnought, you become your ideal body. Mm -hmm. And so she doesn't need surgery to become who she is and who she knows herself to be. And I love that kind of superpower, oh. the superpower that is affirming your gender identity and your own understanding of yourself. Yeah. It was really cool how they like navigated that. Also has like all of the trauma stuff, but sure. yeah. Anyway, and then as we dive into the verses, in verse 17, the author writes, 
I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know them. So, wisdom is first. Very important. Also of note, wisdom is not necessarily education or knowledge. And this was a mistake that the scholars made in the past in the Ember in the Ashes universe. And they went for power and knowledge and ignored the wisdom and the importance of wisdom. And it did not work out well for anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as often happens. Yeah. And then in verse 18, we read, So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which God has called you, what are the riches of God's glorious inheritance among the saints. And okay, look, I'm sorry, the phrase eyes of the heart still strikes me as a very Lovecraftian kind of thing in nature. Like there's a horror element uh, that's sort of creepy there to it. But it also makes me wonder, like if there are eyes in a place where traditionally there should not be eyes, and we're talking about the Bible, I immediately start thinking of the biblical description of angels, right? So is this trying to tell us that your Mm -hmm. guardian angel actually lives in your heart? Because that's where the eyes are? Hmm. Okay, like, that know. seems that's that's a little possible. less Lovecraftian, and and it t- kind of starts taking the horror edge off of things, and it it makes me happier. So yeah, I could see that. Also, there's every once in a while on my TikTok feed, there's a woodworker who comes across and has put googly eyes on every single piece of equipment oh. that they have. And so that's when you started talking about eyes on in places where they shouldn't be. I was like, oh, like googly eyes. And, see, if, and then if that these also were googly eyes on your heart, heart it would be a lot less creepy so as well. <laughs> more googly eyes, less, yeah. less yeah, Lovecraft. It's true. Or, it's true. Yeah, absolutely. And then in verse 21, we read, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And verses like this, where you have this list of stuff like powers and dominions and so forth, always remind me of the title of the novel Thrones Dominations, which is actually quoting a different but very similar Bible verse in terms of that. And it's a sequel novel by another author to the Lord Peter Whimsey novels by Dorothy Sayers. And I'm not honestly as big of a fan of the new books by the new author as I am the old ones by Dorothy Sayers. But if you like Agatha Christie mysteries, the Peter Whimsey books have a very similar feel and style and are either just as or actually even smarter and more interesting, honestly, in my opinion. And so I've very much enjoyed them. And I think a lot of people like to choose one or the other, but I would say I actually have two favorites, which are two of Dorothy Sayers' last novels with Lord Peter Rimsey, which are Gaudy Knight and Busman's Honeymoon, which are, the, the first one actually stars his almost but not quite fiance. And then the second one is the two of them on their honeymoon. So it's very fun. Hmm, Yeah, interesting. And then in the next verse, we read, And God has put all things under Christ's feet, and has made Christ the head over all things for the church. Honestly, under Jesus' feet, no thank you. (laughs) Feet are gross. Unless they're like baby toes, then they're adorable. But I am not a feet person, so this not appealing at all. I mean, it doesn't say like a distance. It it doesn't say that you're, you know, immediately under. Like it, it might be quite a ways under. I mean, Jesus true, could be but like, like several stories away from you. Yeah, but if Jesus, like feet dirt, can get on my head, well, I'm you know, I, I would assume that they would be washed. It might not be Monday Thursday, but Jesus didn't only wash feet on Monday Thursday. I mean, fair. I don't know. I'm just highly skeptical. I don't yeah. like feet. Literally, when I was in Argentina, I 
made a photo album back when they were limited to 60 pictures, I think. I made a photo album that was like a day in the life of my feet because of all of the different like sidewalks changed for every single building. (laughs) Anywho, our gospel reading for this episode is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Jesus reminds us that truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. This is the like very fairly well-known sheep and goats passage, and there have been a lot of rewrites. This is the rewrite that was in my head as I was thinking about this, and particularly for the second half, for the goats. But it was, for I was hungry and you cut my food stamps. I was thirsty and you left lead in my water. I was a stranger and you pushed me back into the river to die. Naked and you refused my affirming clothing. Sick and in prison and you bombed my hospital and increased the mandatory minimum. So I really appreciate the ways that this passage gets at like so many different things that continue to be problems and continue to be concerns two millennia later. And also it's like not just abstract, right? And as we've gotten greater technological advancements, we've also harmed people more. Yeah. And like greater technological advancements could help people more, but instead like there are so many different ways that we're causing more harm because of them, which is not what God wants for us. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And then as we dive into the verses in verse 31, we read, When the human one comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So there's a sense of like hope of triumph in the midst of occupation and oppression. And so when we like thinking about this and the like glory and that sort of a thing and that way of understanding like what it means for Christ to reign, it is very different when you have, for example, a church called Christ the King that is predominantly white suburban church. Yeah. And when you have a church called Cristo Rey that is mostly Latin American immigrants, that there is this sense in this passage too of like Herod is on the throne and he is entirely a puppet for the Roman Empire. And so to look at oppression and in the face of oppression say there is another one coming who will reign in a different way, whose reign will upend this oppression that we're facing right now. Yeah. I really I really like that and I think it's really important especially on reign of Christ to remember that like when we talk about power, when we talk about ruling and reigning, we're talk like all of these are written to a people who are oppressed. Yeah. Not to the oppressor Absolutely. And then in verse 32, we read, all the nations will be gathered before the human one and will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And I follow a few shepherds on social media who raise both sheep and goats. And my understanding is that you don't actually have to separate them into the two types of animals very often, unless they are getting either species specific medical care, which Again, like most of their medical care are shared between them, or if you are separating them out for breeding, because the two types of animals usually get along pretty well and eat much the same thing. So there really isn't a point to separating Mm. them out. So presumably God's reason for separating us out as sheep and goats, you know, isn't connected to either medical care or breeding, but that's a whole separate thing. (laughs) Maybe it's for shearing the sheep. Maybe. Yeah. Although you do actually shear some goats as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Some of them are raised for the, uh, I, I believe the traditional term is fiber rather than fleece for, for goats. Mm, but yeah. yeah. And then in verse 41, we read, 
Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, so first, as I like to point out whenever this is mentioned, I will point out that in this verse and also others like it, it is always the fire that is described as being eternal and not anything else, including the suffering. Uh, in fact, in this verse, there is no suffering. Uh, it's just destruction. But also, uh, it does make me wonder why and at exactly at what point did Christianity decide that having an eternal candle in the sanctuary to remember God's constant presence was a good idea? Because when we talk <laughs> about eternal fire in Christianity, like usually this is more the context we're talking about. And that seems like a weird connection to, to make. Like I am all in favor of remembering that God is always with us. And I have some, you know, hilarious from the parish stories regarding the eternal candle. But it, it just seems like a weird crossover to me that we would decide that fire was the thing that we wanted to be eternal in our sanctuaries to remind us of God, given the fact that eternal fire is mentioned several times in the Bible in this context. So that just seemed weird to me. And like the eternal flame for the Olympics, that's a whole separate thing. It's not connected to Christianity. I get that that has a very different symbolism to it. That's fine. But it seems like a weird thing for us to do. That's because it's not supposed to be an eternal candle to remember God's constant presence. It comes from the lighting of the candle when there is consecrated host yes. reserved. But and we're so Protestants, so we don't do that. Right, but we like the candle part, right? Like we we took it right. and then had to make up a meaning for it. Sure. And so then we made up the meaning. Like we took it before we had a meaning for it that fit our theology and then created a meaning for it that kind of fits our theology. Sure. So, so it should seem weird because it's inconsistent. Because when you steal things on your way out the door from one organization, it doesn't always magically line up to everything you want for the new organization. Yeah. Thanks, Martin Luther. It's true. Unless it's a stapler or a three-hole punch. I mean, don't steal those. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> and then in verse 45, we read, Then the human one will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And my favorite five-year-old just watched Beauty and the Beast for the first time and Aww. was having trouble with understanding the curse. But this feels like the beginning of Beauty and the Beast, where it's like, oh, you're not going to provide hospitality to me because I look like an old, ugly woman. Well, yeah. here's your rose and here's your curse for that. So there's a like, oh, you're not going to care for me because I don't look like what you think I should look like. Yeah. Here are the consequences of your action. Yep. Yeah. And now for our oldest, newest segment. Make a Muppets musical. <laughs> Our oldest, newest Because it is new, because we didn't do it for the entire podcast. Mm -hmm. But it's also old, because we have been yeah. doing this for a while. I think this was the first new thing we added to the podcast. It's true. It's true. So, yeah. Emily, do you have any Muppet-related thoughts for Reign of Christ? I was trying to think of things, and there are lots of sheep, but none of the sheep or goats are from the Muppets, right? Like, right. Although I would love it if there were sheep or goat Muppets. 
Muppets that yeah. actually look like zebra goats, just like Kermit as a frog. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be cool. But there aren't. Right. And like, I was thinking about blasphemy, though this may be for mm-hmm. some of our listeners. I have not yet watched it, but on my mind is Elliot, the smallest reindeer, and the <laughs> goat from that. And I love I love that goat. She's fantastic. And just like hilarious. And so I'm like, well, she's a good goat. And she's like trying to help everybody get stuff. Sure. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I do want like a lamb muppet on the throne. I think that'd be hilarious. Sure. Well, the sheep that comes to mind for me, because my mom's cat's favorite toy is Sean the Sheep from Wallace and Gromit, which Mm -hmm. is a claymation series uh, from Britain. And Sean tends to bring chaos wherever he goes. (laughs) Not, you know, not always intentionally, Mm -hmm. sometimes intentionally, but not always intentionally. And there is a certain amount of wackiness that tends to go with Sean wherever that happens. And I would imagine that adding goats to the equation would only make more wackiness in any case. But also, the other thing that came to mind was the idea of if we're talking about shepherds and the Muppets. I don't know that any of the Muppets are exactly... I mean, Kermit shepherds the Muppets and gets them all vaguely to the right place at the right time Mm -hmm. on a fairly regular basis, as does Scooter as the stage manager. But like, I'm also wondering which of the Muppets would I trust with a shepherd's crook? Because that's a little closer (laughs) to an actual weapon than I would trust some of the Muppets with. Like, (laughs) let's not give Animal one of those. That seems like a bad idea. That will not go good places. Yeah. I mean, Gonzo's nose already is kind of like it. And (laughs) I think we've cast before. I think we've cast Gonzo and Camilla. Yes. As as a shepherd and and a chief. Yeah, absolutely. So Gon- I, I, I might trust Gonzo. Yeah, with a I, I think crook. Gonzo could lead gently with a shepherd's crook without actually, like, you know, using it in a violent. Um, there is a great story that I heard on another lectionary podcast several weeks ago now. The podcast is called Lectionary Lab. And Pastor Delmar Chilton had a colleague who went to the Holy Land leading a group of his congregation there and taking them to the various historical sites. And the pastor had done a lot of advanced study before going so that he would know all of his history correctly and be able to tell his congregation members all of these things correctly and pronounce things right. And he was very proud of the work he had done. And they get over there and he was in the middle of doing a speech on how when shepherds lead sheep with their shepherd's crook, they don't actually, you know, you don't hit the sheep with the shepherd's crook. You lead them. You might push them gently in a direction or the other direction, but you don't like, you know, try to injure them with the shepherd's crook. And he's doing the speech on the tour bus in the middle of town while driving through town, while explaining to his congregation members how the the shepherding works. And apparently directly behind him in front of the bus, in the middle of something of a traffic jam in this little town, there is a group of sheep crossing the street being encouraged enthusiastically by a guy with a shepherd's crook who is just wailing on them with it, just 
absolutely using it as a weapon. <laughs> and as this guy is beating the sheep with the shepherd's crook, the pastor is going on about how shepherds don't do that, right? And so the congregation <laughs> members are desperately trying not to laugh at him and finally manage to convince him to turn around and look out the front window of the bus. And the pastor <laughs> sees what's going on, freaks, grabs the translator, drops the microphone and takes the translator out the front of the to the front of the bus with him and starts talking to this guy who is you know, distracted by this strange man coming out of a bus and trying to talk to him through a translator about something that he doesn't understand what's going on, you know, in the middle of trying mm -hmm. to get the sheep across the street. So clearly the traffic jam is now getting worse. Oh, wow. And the pastor explains to him, I, I thought shepherds didn't, you know, hit the sheep. They take care of the sheep. They are, are gentle with the sheep. And the translator is trying to explain what's going on to this poor guy. And the guy answers, well, Yes, you, you are right. Shepherds don't do that. But I'm not a shepherd. I'm a butcher. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when it comes to people oh. who don't need to make a relationship with the sheep. <laughs> yup. Yep. But the shepherd's oh, wow. quirk happened to be the tool he had at hand, you might say. So, yeah, I, I really liked oh, that story. And it, it will always come to mind every time the Bible starts talking about sheep and goats for the rest of my life. But <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I can't oh, even imagine having to get back bad. on the bus after that conversation. <laughs> right? Like, there's so much. Uh -huh. So much in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I can just imagine Kermit as the uh, poor t tour guide trying to explain to people what's going on. and, and anyway. to translate. Oh and then gosh. making the face after this conversation. And Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Yes. Thanks for joining us, dear listeners, for these three years, three seasons. And Absolutely. The theme music was by Rachel Meyer Lachlan, and Muppets music was by Brenda Boss. Catch us. So, there <laughs> is not a next week per se, but catch us with Advent One on YouTube or flip back to the beginning of our podcast. We'll be sharing those on social media just to, like, help you get into the rhythm of our past podcasts. Yeah. And keep your ears out for what is to come. We will have a special mini-sode like we do every end of the season for one final deep dive in this sort of deep dive and to give you some here's what's coming up for Nerds at Church. Yes. So definitely keep us in your feeds and we will be up. It might not be next week. It might be the week after. Well, yeah, we, we will be back with you shortly. But personally speaking, I am looking forward to the first time in three years of having more than one week off of editing an episode at a time. So it, it will be two weeks, but we will see you soon. Yeah. Yes. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and now Blue Sky at Nerds at Church. Or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. It's cheaper than almost any New Year's party you could throw, and certainly cheaper than getting movies for a movie marathon. <laughs> Truth. Also, let us know on Blue Sky, Facebook, or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets Musical for this episode. As the ancient Christian said, Pax Obiscum. Obiscum.